Thanks for joining us for Season 7 of the Hospitality Hangout, Hospitality-Focused Podcast, where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, my brother from another mother, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. And thanks for that kind introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. And together, we are the personalities behind branded strategic hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, food service, technology, innovation, and capital. Jimmy, that was a mouthful. It's getting longer. We keep, we keep, keep adding more verticals. Jimmy, I got to tell you, we got a phenomenal show. We do. I mean, really. I mean, this is get each, each week gets better and better. The class of people we get get better and better. But I just wanted to say one thing before we jump into it, Jimmy. I was thinking about something last night, and do you know what it was? Uh, Rangers, New York Rangers. I, I I was not thinking about the Rangers, but okay. it is it is very apropos to be thinking about the Rangers. I was thinking about wouldn't it be great if there was one place that everybody could go to to find the best in class tech and innovation in the hospitality space? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that would be great. Well, would be there is a place. There is a place. It's the branded Boom. marketplace. You Boom. <laughs> Boom, baby. Boom, baby. You go to the brandedmarketplace.com and we have hundreds and hundreds of solutions that every operator can use to help operate their restaurant or hotel or any place that's serving and selling uh, food and beverage. So I urge every listener. That would be the four of us here on the podcast today to go to the brandedmarketplace.com and check it out. And it's not one size fits all, Jimmy. There's all different ones. And if you want to get on the marketplace, just email me, Shatsy, just at marketplace at brandedstrategic.com, and we'll get you signed up in no time. And Jimmy, how much do you think it is? It's got to be expensive. Very expensive. From what I just said, I mean, you'd pay what, $1,000 a month? At least. Well, no, Jimmy, it's free. (laughs) It's free for everyone to use it, Jimmy. Free. Yeah. Great. All right. How do we make money, Shatsy? Jimmy, volume. 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 We yes. give it away. We Jimmy, make money in volume. Show. Take it over. All right. We really do have a very special show today. So I'm uh, very excited. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. Today is a double first. Never had double, this before, Jimmy. Twice we've never had this. What have we never had? We've never had two guests on at the same time. And it's the first time we've ever had authors Authors, Shaxx, these are really smart people we have on the show. I, I was That's just thinking, having an author on our <laughs> podcast is just, it's, it's crazy to me because it's just crazy. This is crazy. So we have, a, we have two guests, same time, both authors. Let's jump into it. Today we have our friends Carl Osborne and Meredith Sandlin, authors of the book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, Your Roadmap to the Future of Food. Carl and Meredith I'm sure by now this is not your first rodeo. You guys have your own flow, so we're going to let you take the lead. Please give us a little background about yourselves, your elevator pitch on on the book, and we're thrilled to have you. Let's get into it. Yeah, well, we're excited to be here, and I confess I've already been on the marketplace today, so uh, uh-huh. I, I am I am well, impressed. Meredith, what it cost you to go on the marketplace to check it out? It was totally free. It was amazing. Free! It's always free. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Meredith Sandland, and together with Carl Arsburn, we wrote Delivering the Digital Restaurant. I've spent about the last 10 years in restaurants. I started- Arguably, by the way, the most famous book in all of the industry. 
Well, you know, it turns out there's not a lot of books in the restaurant industry, so it might be a case of being one of the only books in the restaurant industry, but um, but it is uh, has been really well well received, and we're very pleased about that. So when Jimmy and um, I go to all the trade shows, and we go to a lot of them, I, I, inevitably, I always see somebody carrying that book around. It's amazing, yeah. and we love to see selfies of people with a book on LinkedIn. It's so fun as an author to see that someone's actually read your book and cares about it and is getting something out of it. You know, you put these things out there, you hope that someone reads it and it's pretty neat to see when they do. So anywho, I've spent the last uh, 10 years in the restaurant industry, uh, started at Taco Bell, uh, where I worked on the brand turnaround there and then real estate development. And halfway through building about a thousand Taco Bells, I thought, gosh, it's weird. We're putting these restaurants next to malls when no one goes to malls anymore. And all of those restaurants are doing just great, but it did plant a seed in my mind that only grew when I uh, tried to take Taco Bell into your neck of the woods and thought, wow, rent here is really expensive in Manhattan and 40% of our sales are going out the door delivery. It would be so awesome if there was just a commissary that we could deliver tacos out of. But of course, ghost kitchens didn't exist at the time. So fast forward a couple of years, and I met the guys at Kitchen United, who at the time were um, three guys in an old culinary school trying to trying to figure out what to do with it. And I walked in and thought, oh my goodness, they're making the thing that I, as the customer, the chief development officer of a big national chain, wish existed. And so I went and joined them and uh, helped develop the uh, initial business model, raise the initial capital, including from Google Ventures. And that is where my story intersects with Carl's. Dun, dun, dun. All right. See, we have done this before, haven't we? Chatty, Jimmy, lovely to see. The reason you see us in the book at all the conferences is that this has been part of a subliminal strategy we've been working on for the last year and a half, trying to get us onto your podcast. So (laughs) it's worked, Meredith. We we've now we can now put the book away. It, it's really um, it's really hard. You just ask. Yeah, I know. Don't give away our secrets. This is this is a tough ticket. This is a very tough ticket to get on the show. Months to get on. It's like Kimmel. <laughs> it's, it's it's been months to get on, but uh, great great to be here. Uh, my background's largely in C stores. I uh, used to run the retail component of AMPM over here on the West Coast, which uh, is a thousand store network uh, over a billion dollars worth of revenue, and it was really there where I saw just the change in dynamics of food, the way in which customers were becoming increasingly more demanding about convenience, uh, better foods. And actually, you know, for me, I always wanted to get into a startup's uh, environment. And so when I left BP, um, I spoke to a mutual friend of Meredith and mine, and she, she said, look, why don't you speak to someone else that has left a huge organization that's gone into the startup environment? Go and meet this lady, Meredith, and, and she'll tell you about her journey. And it was really there where Meredith started explaining about Kitchen United, the ghost kitchen scene, which I confess I hadn't heard about much before because, you know, this was in its infancy. It was very time. spooky when she brought it up, I'll bet. She absolutely <laughs> sure did. Um, but it was it was great. And, you know, when the opportunity came up to come and build out the operation and to build out the customer success model and to help the team really think about scaling that concept, it didn't take me very long to be able to determine whether that was the right next step for my career. But it was really through that that we met between us pretty much every major restaurant chain in America. We spoke to many independents, and it was through those conversations, not just those that were uh, in, in and working with us in the ghost kitchen setting, that we just saw this immense challenge that many restaurants were having in trying to figure out 
how do we win when it comes to off-premise? How do we succeed in a ghost kitchen? What are some of the ways in which we need to be better at what we do to succeed? And uh, Meredith and I were driving back one day and I said, look, I know, why don't, why, don't we buy, why don't we buy them all a book? So we went onto Amazon, looked for said book. Book didn't exist. And once uh, we had left uh, Kitchen United, Meredith and I came back to that same idea and said, let's, let's now write that book. Let's help the industry. Let's try and take all of the various different players that are doing some really exciting things in this space and tell their story. And, you know, we interviewed over 100 or so technology leaders, restaurant leaders to try and explain, you know, their stories of how to win in off-premise, why to look about this whole space, this entire ecosystem with optimism and positivity. And to actually say, even though this is a very scary time to be in the restaurant industry, it's also one of the most optimistic and exciting times as well. And the future is bright. And hopefully anyone that reads Delivering the Digital Restaurant will get that feeling. I love it. I really enjoyed the book. And, and I really do want us to jump into it because um, while I recognize it, it, it is a book um, that is talking about the delivery in the off-premise space and the industry and the transformation of this industry. I also found some nostalgia uh, in it because I grew up um, here in New York City, and I would say our our dining consisted of at least five nights a week my mother cooked. Um, maybe one night we ordered in or my, someone went to pick up a pizza or some Chinese food, and one night we went out. But it was a very much home as a home game is what we were playing. And the proliferation of delivery um, and off-premise has just been amazing. And so I want to kick things off because I, I think your book uh, is, is not just for the industry, but it's also, I think, for the consumer and our guests to understand what is going on in this transformation and how all these different generations are interacting with the food service and hospitality industry. There's my preamble. Now I want to kick things off by talking about unit economics and specifically the shift from the four wall to off premise. Prior to the pandemic, you know, delivery was made up of, you know, it, there was constriction, there was restrictions around price increases and, and it stalled for a bit. Um, but as Shatz and I and the team at Brandon like to say, the pandemic changed nothing and accelerated everything. The pandemic rocketed off prem. Do you think growth would have been inevitable? Do you think the pandemic is the, what, the, what lit the fuse or this is the direction we were going? Well, yeah, you know, I, we I think Bill Gates said it. Here we go. Here we go. That's simultaneous. Jimmy, I think I direct your question. Oh. Who's that oh, question for? Oh, a lot of pressure on me. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll let <laughs> Meredith start, but I want to be fair, Meredith. I'm not always going to let you go first, okay? We All, know. Right. All right. All right, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, so we start the book out talking about the consumer and the changes that the consumer is uh, going through. And the reason we do that is because... As exactly you say, the pandemic changed nothing and accelerated everything. Our consumer was changing already and was becoming much more interested in convenience, health, personalization, all of these things that delivery and in particular, just digital engagement enable. And so while uh, when the pandemic happened, we were all forced in a way to learn how to use these tools, even those of us who were who were laggards. Um, it, the ingredients were there, right? So in the first chapter, we talk a lot about eating as a nuclear family no more, uh, which I think, you know, some people, when they hear me say that, they they think, oh gosh, that's terrible. Like, are we all getting divorced and living singly? And this doesn't sound good, but it's actually all good news. We're living longer. We're having children later. We're having fewer kids. Uh, and as a result, the percentage of our lives that we spend uh, as 
somehow a part of a nuclear family is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the percentage of our lives that we spend living alone or with roommates or as empty nesters is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when that happens, it turns out the economics of eating out um, or ordering in become much more attractive relative to the economics of cooking at home. So that's just one example of the ways in which our consumer is changing. Carl, thoughts? Jimmy, yeah. do you want that to be answered by Carl now as well, or should I think we move like, on? Let's let Carl get involved, and then we'll figure out how we're going to play this. Because uh, this, this. he might have a better answer, I'm thinking. There's no way it's better, but it might be as good. But it might be I've as definitely good. got a better answer. Oh, okay. definitely. <laughs> I love it. Now, I, I, I'm going to build on what Meredith said. Look, Bill Gates said it best, right? He said digital adoption accelerated 10 to 15 years in the one to two years of the pandemic. So, so for us, yes, I think it would have happened, but it's been an acceleration, right? So it's it's not going away. Customers are getting used to this being part of their everyday lives. But I also want to dispel a fallacy here that the delivery consumer today is not stealing a customer from the dining occasion. It's the grocery occasion that it's competing with. You know, so in our book, we we highlight that, yes, absolutely, the customer's driving the change and it's not the tech companies. But we also say it's really important to realize that actually it's the consumer that's really driving the need for us to be able to embrace that they want to eat food wherever they are. In fact, people say, you've written a book called The Digital Restaurant. What is The Digital Restaurant? We say it's about being wherever your customer is. Yeah, no, listen, uh, you know, being in New York City for as long as I have and Jimmy born and raised here, we used to always talk about, uh, you know, the grocery store was the competition way back when because it was uh, it was really it was a pizza, Chinese food or it was the grocery store where your mom would go and get some food and make dinner. And that was, uh, you know, that was your competition at the time. Let's talk about uh, DSPs, delivery service platforms or providers. At, at Brandon, we believe it's, it's, it's uh, having a strong delivery program should include both your own delivery platform, your own white label, as well as third party. I mean, we've been using third party for as long as they've been around, over 20 years, and have a strong relationship with all the delivery service platforms. Uh, something I found very interesting in the book is that you pointed out, uh, like in other industries we've seen, that overseas, especially in major cities, there are only two major delivery service platforms that reign, that are the, the king of those cities. Um, you've referred to it as a duopoly. Can you share a little bit more about that? I mean, I see here in the States, I mean, I think that uh, for all intents and purposes, I guess there's probably three major providers, right? And that may or may not change. But in the rest of the, uh, the world, generally, you see two. Um, Carl, can you talk a little about that? You see what I did sure. there, Jimmy? See what I did there? I see what you did there. Why did you call with that one? Uh, See, look at this. You guys are professionals. You're professionals. Um, <laughs> so you're right. We, we focused a, a chapter on what we call the maturity of markets. The fact that actually the U.S. isn't the most mature when it comes to this. And in particular, you're right. The DSPs in particular in India, in the U.K., in China, there are two major ones. And part of that is because it's about understanding why the cust what, what the customer wants. And the customer wants to go to these marketplaces to get choice. They want to be able to get variety. And for the entirety of the journey in leading up to the, today's point with where we are in the market, everything's been a land grab. It's about which restaurants can we get on which platform. And I think now what we're finding is that customers are leaning towards um, certain platforms, maybe because of the user experience, maybe because of the ease of being able to, to pay, maybe because of the subscription free delivery models that they have. But we probably will end up with two major DSPs here in, in the US. And that therefore enables the DSPs to start to refocus their attention away from land grabbing in terms of getting market share from restaurants, but now being able to take better utilization 
of their driver force. And so you just need to look at what's been happening over the last six to 12 months. You just need to look at the Super Bowl commercials with the way in which Uber Eats was saying it's not just about eats anymore. They're now trying to actually take advantage of pharmacy, of convenience, of pet food, all these things to be able to enable their driver force to be better utilized and therefore be able to be willing to be part of the, the platform for longer. That ultimately will drive efficiencies into the system. Those efficiencies will therefore make delivery something far more accessible. And when you, you look to somewhere like China, when you look to somewhere like uh, Maitawan, uh, which is one of the biggest over there in terms of DSPs, it's now cheaper to have your food delivered than it is to eat out. That is potential future for us here if, of course, we end up with the world of automation because delivery drivers cost a bit more in the U.S. than they do in China. I really do find it all interesting, and there's so many um, parts to this story. First of all, I think global adoption, or rather adoption of the cell phone, was faster outside of the U.S., and that contributed in a mighty in a mightiful way. And you highlight one of that, that as a factoid in how the delivery space um, is more mature and accelerated outside the U.S. than it did inside the U.S. I also feel that, that we in our own country have lots of issues where there's two dominant players, you know, Uber and Lyft. Uh, in the in the car service space, for example, AT and T and Verizon, it's not uncommon to see a duopoly and then somebody try to penetrate. Um, I think we do have at least three major delivery service platforms right now, although one of them is is down by about you know five billion dollars. But but again, I digress. Let's let's. I want to go to Meredith with the following uh, question, um, and I want to specifically chat with you about virtual kitchens. Um, and I want to give credit. Um, you're the first person I've come across that has described the difference between ghost kitchens as hardware and virtual kitchens as software. And I really love that. I also know that you have your own unique view that virtual brands were created um, as a better way to target consumers and to work around and with algorithms. Um, would love for you to elaborate on both of these. So they think they're really important points um, in the delivery and the off-premise space and what we're, and how we're, this market's going to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with the hardware software analogy. I think everyone conflates ghost kitchens and virtual brands and sort of puts them all together in one thing. Uh, and it's very tempting to do because they are related concepts, but they are different, right? And the hardware portion is the infrastructure in which the restaurant is operating. Those are ghost kitchens, some kind, sometimes called dark kitchens or cloud kitchens, uh, and they might host a virtual restaurant brand. They might also host, you know, a major national brand that you've heard of before, right? It, they, it doesn't matter what kind of content is going into that infrastructure. And then the virtual restaurant brands are like the software. So they are the uh, little bits and pieces of software or applications that are riding on top of that hardware or that computer. Um, and they could operate inside a ghost kitchen but they could also equally operate inside of a host kitchen, which would be an existing restaurant. And I think that's a lot of what you guys see going on in New York, but it started to become now a national trend, I think accelerated by the pandemic for sure. And what I think we see happening with the creation of so many virtual restaurants is really that it's trying to help consumers find food a little bit more easily because these algorithms on places like DoorDash and Uber Eats, they are baby algorithms, right? So think of them in machine learning life as really, really early, like Google back in 2005. They have yet to learn a lot of things that will uh, make what they offer to the consumer when they do a search, the perfect offer. 
And as a result, I think restaurants are um, trying to create brands that will speak more specifically to different uh, consumer need states, to different consumer day parts. A great example of this, of course, is IHOP and their launching of Super Macadilla and um, Thrilled Cheese. And what they are doing there is they're saying, hey, consumer, you wouldn't normally search for IHOP at dinner time or maybe for late night. But we have these great brands that make a ton of sense during those day parts. And if we put them forward as brands that are targeted at those day parts, a consumer is much more likely to find them than they are to click into IHOP and, and look at their menu, right? Oh, is that, is that, that's the whole answer? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. there's something more. <laughs> I mean, I can talk all day about this. No, but... no, no, that's Meredith, not Meredith, you, 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 you could write a book about this. I probably could. <laughs> I probably you could. You should write a book about <laughs> this. All right, listen, let's go back in time, okay? Let's go back in time before there was delivery. And for us New Yorkers, that's a long time ago. Maybe other cities, not as long. You know, some people are like five years. It's I mean, delivery in New York City has been around long before Seamless Web, long before. I mean, Jimmy grew up in the city. It was just part of uh, it was part of the DNA in living in the city. You could just call up any deli, any pizza place, and you can get delivery. So the earliest form of off, off-premise outside of the city, it was drive-thrus. And I think you talk a little bit about in your book, delivery convenience. Delivery is the new drive-thru. But what about the rise in curbside pickup and takeout? We saw a lot of that as people recognized how expensive and all the different fees that were getting put on, on delivery when you would order maybe a burrito that would maybe cost $12. You found out that it was $25 to get this burrito when you were done with everybody tagging, tacking on this fee and that fee. So what about the rise of, of curbside pickup and takeout? Will the next headline read, curbside is the next drive-thru carl take it (laughs) i like that i like that maybe we should uh, think about that if we ever end up with that as a a future chapter title we're gonna you know accolade you with maybe or maybe another another book uh who knows it's it's a it's a a big undertaking is the next (laughs) drive-thru well i tell you one thing we do actually talk about curbside in, in the book in the sense of it's about giving your customer the choice Right? It's about giving them the choice as to how they want to engage with a restaurant. Sometimes customers like to be able to go in and meet people. Sometimes they like the idea of just staying in the car because they don't want to have all the hassle of taking the kids out. Sometimes it's just easier for curbside. Where I do think we'll end up, quite honestly, Shatsi, is we'll end up with a situation where customers will be able to see which is the fastest pathway for them to be able to get access to their food. Imagine that when you're driving up five minutes before you actually reach the restaurant. And they're saying, well, look, if you go through drive through it might be two minutes longer than if you do curbside. That could be something. But look, the reason we, we wrote that chapter delivery is the new drive through the reason we focused on the drive through model was because it was something that you know kicked off in the 60s. And it was actually something that took a good decade or so for it to be really indoctrinated into the, the modern day restaurant. And we, we put it in the third chapter of the book to be able to say a lot of this is all about how do you want to rethink the design of your restaurant? How do you want to rethink the processes that happen in your restaurant to make sure that your customer gets the best possible occasion? And so, you know, everything they did with drive-throughs where they created the second make line, you know, things had to be redesigned completely to make the drive-through model work. And now when we read through QSR magazine each year and they're talking about, well, this drive-through is now three seconds faster than it was last year. And this is the top one for speed here. 
that's the level of you know finesse that has been deployed in this space so i think what we're going to find with off-premise is that yes it's about for sure making sure that delivery can be optimized and that's everything in terms of quality it's everything in terms of speed it's everything in terms of accuracy but it's also about making sure that the restaurant model is defined and designed in a certain way to make sure that the customer gets it the way they want and that might be through drive-through it might be through curbside it might be walking into a pickup window and that has to be thought through especially when you lay on top things like virtual brands right because virtual brands are going to add further complexity into the mix as well here I so I, I'm, ex, I'm, ex, I'm excited about the, the different channels, but it is about the omni-channel customer. Yeah, and choice. We love choice. Yeah, well, Shad, you and I have been talking about this, not just in the delivery and the off-premise um, part of our, of our industry, but just the optionality, optionality. Um, that, the, that the guest and the consumer is expecting. Um, I, I, have a, I have a young daughter who just went through the kindergarten process, and the line I kept hearing graduation, was- graduation, Jimmy, am I wrong? Well, yeah, big, big, big graduation, big uh, nursery school graduation coming up. Um, cap and gowns, and I don't know. Um, but the, the comments we always heard was, they'll meet the child where they are. They'll meet the child where they are. And I think that is, is to me, it rings true of what Carl, you just shared in that the, the restaurants, the industry have to meet the guests where they want to be, whether it's uh, through a drive-through, through a delivery, through a pickup, through in-store. And, and it, to me, what's just amazing is how it's gonna impact the real estate associated with this industry um, and how we used to build restaurants and we used to try to maximize seats. And now we have to be mindful of just how much business is gonna take place outside of our four walls and how incredible that is. Um, Meredith, I'm gonna come to you with this question, um, if, if that's okay. While putting together this book, you interviewed some of the top CEOs, owners, influencers in the entire industry. I'm pretty sure and I was then, busy that day she was doing the interviews, Jimmy. You know, Shats, I forgot to give you the message Meredith wanted to speak to you. I, <laughs> whoops, my bad. Um, yes, well, Meredith, I got your back. Um, so I know this question might be akin to asking you um, who your favorite child is. Um, and please note, I could tell you which one is, is Shati's favorite, but I'll do that quietly. But can you share, is there any, maybe anyone that's specific that you interviewed that was maybe most impactful in helping to create the content? Maybe not your favorite, but maybe someone that was particularly impactful as you and Carl would uh, put this book together. Yeah. I know if she, I know, I know if Meredith called me, I would have been the answer, but go no ahead, doubt. Meredith, you went, you, you take no it. Doubt. Uh, that is a very difficult question because there's some amazing, amazing people uh, who spoke with us for the book. Um, it's only us I, listening, remember. I note, I note that the only person who shows up in two different chapters is Alex Cantor. Oh, and great hair. Great hair. It, yeah, I mean, if only we could have had a picture of him in the book, but I think... What I wouldn't do for uh, him like that. Alex has you know, a lifetime of restaurant experience having grown up in his family's restaurant, but then he also has all the vision of, you know, the Gen Z younger millennial age of saying, no, this is how the world should work. And that's such a powerful combination between the two that uh, he, in, you know, came up with a different technological way of interacting with a digital guest, and then also came up with virtual restaurants, right? And to have one person come up with two ideas and therefore have to be covered in two different chapters was pretty unique. But there, you know, there are a lot of amazing, amazing people throughout the book. And I, I think in many ways, the book reads as uh, almost an entrepreneurial journey of these different people who created mm -hmm. all of these awesome tools in our industry. And uh, for people who like things like 
you know, how I built this, delivering the digital restaurant is sort of the restaurant equivalent of how these entrepreneurs came up with their ideas and created their businesses. Who, you know, I love that. By, by the way, hold on. Uh, oh, Chef, Meredith, Meredith commented on the vision of Alex and, and it's just the insight in not, not one domain, but two. And I also would have commented on what a really smart gentleman uh, he is. You come in on his hair. So Alex, when you when, when you when, when you're listening to the podcast, please remember Meredith, me, vision, intelligence. Chat's coming under your hair. Just say it. Okay, go ahead, chats. Okay. And my <laughs> second comment to Meredith, who is going to play Alex Cantor in the movie? Oh. Who are we thinking? Because they, they can mm. they gotta have great hair. Yeah. Or they could do a wig, but who are you thinking for the Brad movie? Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. It's always it's Clooney or Pitt, right? We always go Clooney <laughs> or Pitt, right? Well, either one would be fair. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. Look at, look, look at what he did with his hair with Zoolander, right? Ben oh, Stiller. yeah. Oh, all right. Oh. Okay. I like it. All right. Ben Stiller, yeah. if you're ben listening, I've I, got a great role for you. All right, <laughs> Carl. In order to do research for this book, you actually became a dasher. You drove for for DoorDash, which I think is, is crazy. Can you share, like, what was that experience like, especially as someone like yourself who's an industry expert, now you're, you're, you're driving for a door dasher. How long did you do it? Where did you do it? Give us a little background on that because that's really cool. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was important because it, it drew on my experience at Kitchen United, actually, Shati, because we were really uh, clear there to be able to uh, want to make sure the drivers felt comfortable in coming in and actually having a great experience. And so the whole ethos of the chapter where we reference this is about the importance of looking at the driver as an extension of your brand, as almost the gig worker being the new server, if you will. And in that sense, a lot of drivers and the ones that we certainly interviewed uh, that do it full, you know, full time told us about, look, it's, it's really difficult for us to be able to make money here. If I am waiting in a restaurant for 20 minutes before I get given the dish, I'm actually not going to be able to make enough money through the course of my, uh, my evening. And so when I went out, and it was uh, certainly a very interesting experience, the thing I'll generally, generally tell you is I wasn't treated very well. I didn't feel like I was part of the team. I felt like I was being ushered to one side, like whatever I was doing wasn't treating that restaurant's guest with the same level of hospitality as what a dining guest was being treated. And as, as a result, because I wasn't being treated well, I didn't care necessarily as much about that food package, right? For me, it could have been a, a letter, an envelope. It didn't have to be something that you think about in terms of the beautiful way that a plate is taken from Expo and put onto a table and actually delicately explained to the guest. All, all were of those you digging things, your hands into the bag and grabbing the fries? <laughs> I think the, the stats you were so well, angry the way you were treated. You're like, I am just going to, oh, you know what? I'm taking the fries. I, I, Be I, honest. Carl, don't answer that confirm, question. Don't answer that question, I Carl. I confirm or deny that allegation. <laughs> that means he definitely ate some fries. How could you not? They smell so good. Only when I was delivering to yours. <laughs> but it's very interesting what you said. I wrote down. The driver is the new server. It's very interesting. And you felt like you weren't treated like an employee or a server in that restaurant. You certainly weren't treated like a guest. You, I mean, it sounds to me like you were treated like S. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and that's it. Right? I mean, how, how you treat those folks is really important. And, and also get them excited, right? So I did go to one restaurant that was actually handing out to drivers little samples of a new LTO that they were putting out. And that's great, right? Because then when the driver passes over the food, they go, well, look, enjoy this salad tonight. But by the way, you should check out the pomegranate chicken that they've just done because that's, that's a really be good a one. a salesman for you, you know, just like a that, server. Totally. 
And so Love that. there are ways in which I think the driver experience can be improved. But I would also urge um, to really think about that, that piece around how much time a driver is waiting. If restaurants aren't measuring the amount of time drivers are waiting inside the restaurant lobby in somewhere, that's going to be a, a, a major area of opportunity. And of course, all this comes back around and affects the algorithms and the way the search works on the platforms. Because what do customers look at when they're looking at platforms? Aside from your brand, if your brand is great, that's good. Mm-hmm. They're looking at speed, they're looking at cost, and they're looking at ratings. And how you treat drivers affects their likelihood of wanting to come around to your restaurant quickly to mm-hmm. pick up an order. And the faster they come to pick up the order, that means the faster the consumer gets it. And the faster mm-hmm. the consumer gets it, the better your times are and the better your ratings are on the platforms. Therefore, the more likely you are to be prioritized in the search results that the algorithms are putting forward. So there's so many reasons to do these things right. Uh, you know, you could say just morally treating another human being uh well is a good thing to be doing. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, they can represent your brand well and sell for you. And then on top of that, they can help improve your performance in the search results. Again, there are just so many interesting uh, facets to this. You talked about the speed. Uh, Carl, you just talked about the culture, you know, the temperature the food arrives in. Is it accurate? The packaging is becoming more and more important, A, for security, B, for temperature, uh, C, people are becoming very, uh, continue to become more environmentally uh, sound and aware and what they what they want to see uh, some of these restaurants do or industry, uh, industry partners do. I think it's an amazing um, kind of ecosystem that's being born um, trying to, you know, provide for off-premise uh, food and beverage in an environment that used to be very, again, again grounded in brick and mortar. Okay, listen, before we move on, um, I'm, I, I'm very fortunate that I save the breaking news moment for the end of this segment. And I get to, I think I get to release it unless Shachi jumps all over me. But you will be releasing. Wait, Jimmy. Did you get it? Breaking news moment, Jimmy. Wow. Okay, you can go now. Wow, that was... Um, I can't speak for Meredith or Carl, but I found that really annoying. But okay, Um, um, the breaking news moment, um, you'll be releasing a bonus chapter for the book. Can you share why the, the, the need for a new chapter and when it'll be released? Any other insights you could uh, share about the new chapter? I'm going to Carl with this one. Uh, all right, and 30-second warning, Shatsi, if you want to quote in the new chapter, you've got to think about it. I'm coming to you in a, in a moment. So the, the bonus chapter is written, uh, uh, is really written to help restaurants deal with the enormity of what's going on, right? There's so much choice. There, I mean, you just talked about the marketplace earlier, which I think is fantastic, by the way. But the reality is, is that there are so many restaurants that are trying to figure out what's the right tech platform for them. You know, when I walk around many of these conference halls and I ask a like a first-party ordering platform, I say, how do you differentiate yourself from the rest? They struggle to differentiate themselves. They struggle to be able to say, this is why you should come to us versus the competition. And so this chapter is trying to tell the story of the digital maturity pathway of a restaurant to how to think about, you know, really focusing on third-party optimization first. You know, you have to land that before you start thinking about virtual brands, for example. And we tell the story of this this entirety of the journey that restaurants need to go on to be able to find the right level of success. And of course, highlight a, a few new players in this space as well. All right, Shati, what's the line that you'd like in that chapter? Ooh. Oh, Shati, wow. you. Uh, oof, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, I always default to Jimmy when you ask a question like that. 
Yeah. Uh, by the way, Shatsy, that's why Meredith didn't ring you when uh, when she was uh, when she was <laughs> oh, interviewing President Number Chance. I mean, oh. um, I, I guess I would simply say the following is that uh, as a starting point, you have to recognize as an operator um, that you're going to have to re- you have to utilize and leverage the DSPs. You're going to have to utilize and leverage your own native white label or otherwise, and you're going to have to strike the right balance between the two. It's never going to be an all or none. Um, and you're going to have to then think about how you distinguish your brand on both the DSPs and then cultivate the type of loyalty, personalization, and otherwise, again, to cultivate people that want to come to your site. Uh, we actually have a lot of ideas around that, and we're very fortunate to have a lot of great tech partners that are really operator-centric and are looking to help you know, not just optimize margins, but do it in the off-premise world, which is so clearly um, a challenge um, because the, a lot of these operators weren't weren't necessarily built to deliver pun was not intended in the off-premise space and have been forced to learn it very quickly but again I think it's a combination I know this is not a quote now because I talked for a page and a half but it is a balance of the DSPs and the native and how you're going to yeah. differentiate your brand in both on both those paths yeah I, I love that and that's something we completely advocate as well um, no, I was so, going to say exactly what Jimmy just said honestly <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. In that case, Chad, I yeah. spend so much time together. It's like we finish each other's sentences. Sandwiches. So oh, sorry. Weird. Sentences. Sentences. Yeah, it's so weird. By, by the way, you know, I, I've got I've got a fun competition to, to see for you guys. So obviously we'd love people to buy the book if they haven't yet. And if they, they go to our website, learn.delivery, our first party platform for the book, there's a coupon code. But I want to do a competition here, okay? So there's a coupon code, which is Jimmy20. Ooh. your listeners there's another one called chatty 20 they each get the same discount but i want to like i want to come back and tell you like guys this. six months from now who wins the coupon code battle here to to get the, the book all right so chatty 20 jimmy 20 whichever you want learn dot delivery get a copy chatty 20 jimmy 20 this is a good contest but chatty no giving away gas coupons to attract voters you can't pull that can't pull that here in new york city man don't don't try that s okay listen i i want to turn Shatsy, I know that went over your head. I apologize. No, but you have um, to be able to spell Shatsy, S-C-H, and S-H, because everybody might spell it wrong. So you got to give the coupon. You got to give spellings. S-H-A-T-Z-I-E. That's Shatsy. Right. Jimmy just telling them why. All the different variations of spelling Shatsy twice. That's what I'm saying. Jimmy, that's like so easy. Jimmy's, Jimmy's your buddy. Jimmy's your pal. You boot in his car. He doesn't care. Okay. Listen, it turns out that while we started this podcast, because we like talking to people, we learned along the way that our guests sometimes have questions for us. So back by popular demand, and by that I mean I'm doing the segment of Talking Back, where we offer our guests and now guests the chance to ask us a question. Nothing is off, uh, off limits. The microphone, my friends, is yours. Great. Okay. So I, I've got one. I if you think about five years into the future, you guys always have a, a foot in the future with uh, the way in which you invest and, and talk about the space. What are you most excited about and what do you think's a fad? Oh, fantastic question. Shatsy, would you like well, to share I some think, cool yeah, No, Coming it's a in. great question. And I'll, I'll take the first stab. I think, um, well, I think automation and efficiency surrounding automation clearly is, is, is 
not a fad. It's the future. It's happening. We've seen it in so many industries. I, I look back to the the automotive industry was way back when it was there. Cars were hand built. And today you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of uh, a lot of manual labor. Uh, I think you see a lot of people kind of taking care of the robots in the uh, in, in on the assembly line, if that makes sense. And I think um, and that's not new. I think in aerospace, et cetera, I think you see robotics. I think in the Amazon warehouses today, uh, robotics have been around there for 10, 10 years now. Uh, so I think robotics and automation is just something that we're going to see more and more of to help um, replace some of the mundane tasks that uh, that are in restaurants that are just repeated over and over again. I think you're just going to continue to see more and more of that and not displacing those uh, workers and employees, but actually repurposing them to more important tasks like engaging with the customer, like building uh, loyalty to the guest and and that kind of thing. So I think rather than just, uh, I know we all read a lot about the flippy and the sippy and the chippy, but I mean, those kind of things are just over and over. And so I think we're going to continue to see a lot of that. Um, and as far as the fads go, I, I don't know which is going to be a fad per se, but I think the jury is still out. I think we were talking about the virtual and the ghost and, and, which which model is going to win and fine tune that model? I think we're going to have to see. I don't want to say they're fads, but I think there's going to be a lot of work to be done to see what uh, what what we end up as. What's what's the right model for these virtual brands? Because you know, I was just seeing. You know, I know that um, influencers are becoming you know brands now for food, but now it didn't take long for. Um, the big brands like we know, like Pizza Hut and KFC, et cetera, to kind of find an influencer and launch their own, like KFC is launching a chicken sandwich, but it's KFC launching a chicken sandwich with an influencer. It's not just, you know, a, a, a virtual brand that's just made up. So it's, so I think we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, to be decided on that space. Um, Jimmy, I said a lot. I don't usually talk as yeah, much. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm so excited about you're it. You're very excited about it. And usually I follow up now with an answer that, that uh, according to our viewers, 99% of them say it would be better. But I'm not going to do that today because I think your answer. No, but you can. You I massage got, it. No, no, because since we have two guests, I would like to give Meredith the opportunity to ask her question to us. Ah. See what I did there? See what I did there? Yeah. Yep. I think you're kissing, uh, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I will certainly ask. Uh, Jimmy wants to have Jimmy, a role in the movie. Jimmy, maybe you'll <laughs> be the one who answers my question. So you have both read Delivering the Digital Restaurant. I hear you're passing it around the office. And as you've gone through I it. I have my own copy. Oh, nice. Yeah, J- Jimmy, Jimmy stole a copy. Jimmy stole a copy off the, uh, the National Restaurant Show. Oh, off that, off no, that no, 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 no. He thought I was taking. I said, Jimmy, those Call are not autographed my book. Call autographed my book. That was not stolen. So, sorry, Meredith. We, we interrupted yeah. you and we apologize. Good clarification. Good clarification. But it remains. You've both read the book. And I want to know, as you look around the industry, which restaurant or restaurants do you think are most like the digital restaurant that we describe in the book? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I guess I'll take a first shot at, at that. And I certainly feel um, it leans into the, uh, I think some of the leaders in the space or in the QSR uh, domain. And I've been very impressed 
by several of them, uh, particularly what they've done with their drive-through, what they've done with their apps, uh, what they've done to promote themselves in the way that you guys had articulated. So I'm, I'm going to put a few forward because I don't obviously know which one it is, but I will tell you I've been wowed by Shake Shack and what they've done um, to continue to delineate themselves uh, from their peer group. Um, I have been very impressed uh, by Taco Bell. Uh, I know that's your legacy. Uh, that's your uh, one of your previous places of employment, uh, uh, Meredith. Um, and I think they continue to impress and change their footprint. Um, and then I'm going to tell you that I'm going to put McDonald's in there because I believe that in, in watching their transformation of the last couple of years um, has, and, and the, the way in which they're engaging with their guests, um, has been amazing. So maybe I shouldn't have picked three plate, three stores or brands in the same kind of. You basically stuff. said every store, every every restaurant in America. Oh, I, I picked. I picked <laughs> well, I went to Shake Shack first, and I think they have been an outstanding um, player in this space. But I did want to give credit to two other quick serves. So, Meredith, I don't know if I if I blew it or if Shaq, you want to give an answer, but that that's who I was. Thinking. The answer is Wing Zone, Jimmy. That's the answer. Well, I gave my answer. Boom. All right. Well, I think uh, I think QSR has both a burning platform here uh, and a need to go after this stuff, as well as the skills required to do it. Right. So that's probably a, a very good answer. They uh, are an industry that is built on two things, value and convenience. And as the definition of convenience changes to one where, um, you know, food goes to people and digital engagement becomes the preferred method to engage with a restaurant, it is only natural that those guys would, I think, lead in doing those things. I love it. I love it. All right. We're going to change gears real quick, okay? And we're going to go to a new segment. New segment, first time, and it's really exciting. Uh, on LinkedIn, every week, we do a poll. We have usually a fun poll built around restaurants and food and things like that. So I am going to give you this week's poll question and you guys just answer what you think the winner will be in this week's poll. This week's poll, what is your favorite delivery only restaurant? It's just wings, cosmic wings, Mr. Beast Burger, Tender Shack. Those are the four in this week's poll. Carl, who do you think is going to win the poll? Uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, it's very the wrong answer. America's going to vote. Um, I think America's going to go Mr. Beast. Carl says, uh, Mr. Beast, Meredith, America's going to decide. Who is the favorite delivery only restaurant? Well, certainly based on their sales traction, I think Carl's right. It's probably Mr. Beast. But it I will be Mr. Beast. Yeah, I have to say it's just wings because, number one, I like a huge company moving that fast. Wow. Huge kudos to them. And then number two, uh, every time I say it's just wings, I smile. Like, oh, it's just wings. Don't worry. Just it's wings. Yeah, it's just wings. How bad could that be? I agree. I got to tell you, it's going to be interesting. Stranger Wings, right? Stranger Things on Netflix has just come out. Why has no one come out with Stranger Wings yet, Chatsy? That's a great That's brand. That's breaking news right now. Carl and Meredith are releasing a new virtual <laughs> brand, Stranger Wings. And it's already been trademarked, so don't even think about trying to get it, everybody. But I love it. I love it. All right, listen. Next segment, Branded Quickfire. Here we go. We're wrapping things up because I know you guys got to go. Started a little bit late. I'm going to ask you each five lightning round questions. Are you ready? Meredith, I'm going to ask you the first one. Then, Carl, you'll follow up with the answer to the same first question. Meredith, are you ready? I am ready. 
Ice cream, cup or cone? Cup. Cup. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? My husband will cook. North Italia. What is your favorite food city in the world? Uh, coastal uh, Croatia along the Adriatic. Not a city, bunch of cities. Bangkok. Wow, cool. Bangkok. Ooh. Favorite place to travel? Probably coastal Croatia for the same reason. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Amalfi Coastline, Italy. Oh, <laughs> my favorite. Whoa. That's Jimmy's That's favorite my, my spot. Town. All right, here yeah, we I got go. Married. If you were to challenge Jimmy, will take him his next trip with Barbara. <laughs> if you were to challenge Jimmy Wright to a game of Duck, Duck, Goose, one of Jimmy's favorites, mind you, who would you have better <laughs> odds of beating? Jimmy has a five-year-old. Yes. Mm, take that into account. <laughs> My youngest I, is 17. I, I actually think Shotzi, just because Jimmy's a little bit quieter, and so he might be able to, like, trick me by Duck, Duck, Duck. <laughs> Goose and say it really softly, and I wouldn't even know, and I would like get all confused. Yeah. And Wait, did I, you say I, Jimmy's yeah. quieter? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's everyone. Don't, 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 don't say yes. Everybody that, says that. Listen to how you're screaming at our guests. Screaming at them. Screaming, I tell you. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Shatsy as well. Not because you're not because of the quietness thing, but more because Shatsy, I've seen the way you like walk around the conference halls. You get distracted. So you're you're going to play a different game with someone else. Should and so I'm being my ADD. Wait, what car? What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> signal's breaking up signal's breaking up what was that yeah no listen i've never been accused of having a long attention exactly. span. Jimmy makes fun of me all the time wait what jimmy exactly all right I, I, <laughs> jimmy jimmy that, that was my segment's over it's up to you now buddy to bring us home i love it man and i actually i agree with both meredith and carl i gotta say shats i think they'd uh they'd have a much uh, better odds of beating you so i don't know if you just won the quick fire or lost it but the fact is they both chose you listen yes. carl and meredith we want to thank you so much for joining us uh on the podcast and for sharing all your great insights with us and our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate what you guys are doing, your hard work for the industry, and really tackling, I hope our listeners just understand how complex um, and deeply rooted the, the kind of the evolution that's going on in the industry and the transition uh, from a brick and mortar only to beyond. Uh, I know my kids have no idea, Jimmy. They just yeah. want to make sure that they can order from their phone anytime and get yep. food fast. And then, you know what, that's their, that's their prerogative. They are allowed just to want that. But we appreciate your hard work for the industry and what you're doing. If you want to get in touch with Carl and Meredith directly, uh, you can email the podcast team at podcast at brandedstrategic.com. We'll be happy to make the introduction to our listeners. We want to thank you so much for tuning, tuning in with us. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And despite my friend, Mr. Schatzberg's banter, our subscriber base continues to grow exponentially. And we appreciate that yes Shatsy. just want to add one thing if our listeners haven't read the book how do they get it well they can go to learn.delivery uh, and get a copy of the book from us directly and again and use Shatsy 20 promo code and use Shatsy 20 spell it out spell that way you can let's spell it out s-c-h-a-t-z-y right so that's Jimmy with a y or just any way you can all right but learn.delivery say Jimmy means Shatsy okay so I've checked if you want the audio book you can go to Amazon of course but you can get direct from us otherwise there you go excellent excellent thank you for that and All right, listen, Jimmy, I apologize. F finish this off. That's okay. And listen, please tune in next week. We're going to have uh, our friend, uh, our guest, our business partner, Mr. Gary Goodman, the founder and CEO of Yumpingo. What all, a great accent, all, by the way, Jimmy. Great accent. All about guest engagement, guest feedback. I think it's going to be a great episode. Uh, and I love this pro-British thing, Jimmy. I love this pro-British yeah, thing. No, we're all about, uh, you know, 
England and the UK and the accent. I Absolutely. mean, I, I mean, and I, hello, right, Jimmy? Oh, there we go, Jimmy. I brought it in. I was so hoping you weren't going to bring your your accent to the table. I would say, uh, Carl, if I lost my New York City privileges, I apologize for all the other great cities in the states. But I'm taking my show uh, to London if I lose my uh, my New York City privileges. It's the one city in the world I feel a particular kinship for. So finally, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. So you don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we'll have coming up in the future. And better yet, invite a friend to hang out with us the next time. So until then, this is Jimmy. Richling, your finance guy, uh, again, expressing thanks and appreciation to Carl and Meredith, and I'm passing it back to my boy, Shatsy. Thanks, everybody. This is Shatsy, a.k.a. The Restaurant Guy. And again, if you haven't gotten the book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, go check it out anywhere. Fine books are sold. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.